Welcome, everyone. My name is Jordan. I'm one of the pastors here at Renaissance. So grateful you tuned in with us for our online service. Before we get started into today's message, I want to pray for us. Uh, so, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would, man, that you would meet us and you would speak to us exactly where we are. Help us to understand what it is you want for us and from us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we are officially in one of my favorite times of the year. The Christmas tree is up in the Rice household. We are watching Christmas movies. Jingle Jangle is a banger. And shout out to the writer and director who went to Morgan State. Uh, shout out to the home team on that. Uh, Die Hard is, in fact, a Christmas movie. And I am now listening to what I would, I would say. It's a hot take for some. It's not that hot of a take for others. The greatest Christmas album of all time, a Mariah Carey Christmas. You can argue all you want if you're watching on Facebook or YouTube. Put your favorite Christmas album in the chat. Jackson 5 Christmas is a distant second. Uh, Stevie Wonder got some bangers, but whatever. We'll argue about that later. But Christmas time is a phenomenal time. And one, one of my favorite songs that kind of transports me back to nine-year-old Jordan in, in the kitchen with my mother playing the Mariah Carey Christmas album is Joy to the World. And it's one of my favorite songs. And there's a line in Joy to the World that is a banger. And y'all lucky I can't sing, because if I could sing, I would sing this right now. Uh, Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Here's a line. Let every heart prepare him room. And I was thinking about that this week. What would it mean for us to prepare our hearts room for Christ, that we would prepare our hearts for him? And what I want to do today is to prepare our hearts for this season of Christmas. And, you know, Christmas comes and there's gifts and there's secret Santas digital this year. There's all those different plans and different things. And man, Christmas is such a time and such an opportunity for us to slow down and to pay attention to all that Christmas means. The, the arrival of Christ means in our lives, and it means so much. There's so many people right now who are more willing to engage with the concept of Christ and Christianity now more than maybe they have been this entire year. And yo, quick commercial for our service next Sunday. Our team has been working incredibly hard to put together an amazing, amazing service and right now, it's never been easier to invite your friends to church. So on our website, on our homepage, um, starting this afternoon, we're going to have uh, ways that you can invite your friends to church uh, next Sunday, December 20th, for our big annual Christmas service. It will be happening all online, but our team has done an incredible job putting something together that's going to be really, really special uh, for you. So we want you making sure that you're tuning in and sharing that with all of your friends. But today... I want us to prepare our hearts for Christ. Now, even if you're not a Christian, even if you don't know where you stand in faith, you would have to say that this season of Christmas is the most important, historically at least, event that's happened in the history of civilized society. Like, So what year are we in right now? You would say 2020. That's the year that has been etched in to all of our brains. But actually, it's it's not 2020. It's just 2020 years since Christ arrived. If you were to follow an ancient calendar, we would probably get the year 7526. Uh, it doesn't quite have the same ring as 2020 does. But the calendar is just one example of many how much of our lives surrounds this event, this event of the Christ coming. And I want 
us to pay special attention to what it means for us to prepare our hearts today to receive the gift, which is Christ, not just because it's Christmas season. It's something we can have every single day, but now more than ever, I want us paying special attention to that. So today we're going to look at a scripture, a teaching from Jesus about our hearts. And a lot of times, whenever we talk about our hearts in scripture, man, there's over a thousand passages in the Bible that talk about our hearts, um, and our, our hearts are bigger than our emotions. When the Bible talks about our heart, it talks about it being the center of us, the center of our being. And Jesus, in the scripture that we're going to read, uh, he says it in a couple of different gospels. He talks about the nature of our hearts, things we should look out for, things that are concerning, things that are encouraging, so that we can prepare our hearts' room this Christmas season. So hopefully it's not just another season of more gifts, but it's something that is spiritually meaningful and impactful. So uh, Jesus starts out in Luke 8, and he's teaching this parable on, on our hearts. And this is what he says in verse 5. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and it was trampled on, and the birds of the sky devoured it. Other seed fell on the rock. When it grew up, it withered away, since it lacked moisture. Other seed fell among thorns. The thorns grew up with it and choked it. Still, some other seed fell on good ground. When it grew up, it produced fruit, a hundred times what was sown. As he said this, he called out, let anyone who has ears to hear, listen. Now the next verse in verse nine, it says, his disciples asked Jesus what the parable meant. Now this is very comforting for me as a preacher. Jesus stood up to teach a lesson and his disciples were looking at him in the black of his eye and they were like, yo, Jesus, I don't know what you're talking about. So Jesus, I feel you. Sometimes, you know, the stuff we say, they don't always understand. So that's a comfort for me and other preachers. But Jesus further explains to his disciples what he was talking about in this parable. And it's a scripture that I've gone to over and over again in my life personally to almost help me to diagnose where my heart was. Now, some days I'm in multiple places almost in the same day. And I don't think this is a fixed thing for us that either you're here, here, here and here. I don't think Jesus means that in that way. I think he's telling us this parable to help us get a diagnosis of where we are today. And there's some things in there that will show us how we can move forward to prepare our hearts, room for him this uh, Christmas season. So um, Jesus talks about the first seed. And uh, the first seed is the hardened path. So verse 12, Jesus, as he's explaining this parable to his followers, he says, the seed along the path are those who have heard and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Now, I, I joked about this a couple of times about some of y'all are too sophisticated to believe in the devil. And I think that even in joking about it, sometimes uh, I minimize unintentionally the fact that there are spiritual forces in opposition to your growth. There are spiritual forces at work presently right now that are seeking to take away God's word from our heart. And I, I think this is what Jesus is getting at here, that the devil here in this text comes and snatches away the word from their hearts so that they might not believe and be saved. And I don't know that I can explain everything about what Jesus says here, but I want to pause first and talk about 
the notion that the thing that is holding us back sometimes, sometimes it's you. Yes, it's hard to get up. Yes, it's hard to be consistent. But I also want to always paying attention to the fact that there are spiritual forces in opposition to us that do not want you to grow. They do not want us to believe and trust in who God is. We see this all the way back from the very first interaction with Adam and Eve and the enemy in the garden trying to sow discord and separation between people and God. Now, so this first uh, path is a hardened path. And as Jesus is talking about it, uh, we got to do a little bit of history and talk about what would make a path hard. So when Jesus was talking about that, this, these were usually paths that were hardened from people walking all over it, which gives us a little bit of insight into how these paths got hardened. Now, these paths were so hard that it doesn't matter how much seed was sown and the seed in, in, these, uh, in this parable represents God's word. It doesn't matter how much of God's word is there. It's so hard that it will never penetrate. Now, this is why we talked about this a couple of weeks ago in terms of being hard hearted. This is why some people can hear God's words to them and it just like does nothing to them. This is why entire churches and entire denominations, uh, you can speak God's word to them and it's just like does not compute. They will not listen to a word that you're saying. And being hard hearted is a very, very scared place to be. Now, there's a couple of causes of being hard-hearted. Uh, the first, I think, is something that is not your fault at all, actually. It's being walked on. It's what other people have done to you. There's something to the concept that to experience the sin of other people in your life, it kind of just hardens you. When people do stuff against you, it doesn't just make you trust them less. It makes you trust less, period. And that includes God. A few years ago, before the pandemic and before online services, I was attending Bedside Baptist Church, Mattress Methodist for some, Pillow Top Presbyterian for others, where I just stopped going to church. I love Jesus. Uh, I was in seminary, but I, I just wasn't going to church. And it was actually one of the drier points in my spiritual life. And the reason I wasn't going to church and the reason I was actually becoming kind of hardened wasn't because of anything I did personally. It was just because, man, I had a really bad experience with my previous church where the pastor got caught up in a lot of stuff and it just really soured me. And man, sometimes the things that harden us, it has nothing to do with what you have done personally, but it's just what other people have done to you. And it makes us hard. I remember years ago when we did our first uh, sermon series on the Lord's Prayer and I got up to teach a message on our father and thinking that it was going to be this beautiful thing where everybody's going to be crying tears of joy at the end of it. And I slowly came to realize, based on my inbox the next week, how difficult that message was for so many people, not because of the theological concepts presented, but there was so much anger and hurt that has happened between them and, and their fathers that was being dug up. And that actually really impacted the way that they saw God and were able to hear that scripture. So what... What hardened them to being able to pray to God, their fa father, openly? And that might be a challenge for you right now. It's not anything you did. It's not your fault your father wasn't around. It's not your fault your father abused you in whatever way he did. It's the sin that your father committed hardens you. So one of the ways that we are hardened is by other people. Another way we can become hardened is through the decisions that we make. So a couple of weeks ago, we were in the book of Exodus and we were looking at 
uh, this character of Pharaoh, and we were looking at the things about him that we can draw and glean from our own lives to understand what does it mean to be hardened, because none of us are immune from being hardened. As a matter of fact, in Hebrews 3.13, it says this, but encourage one another daily, uh, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. All of us are susceptible to becoming hardened through the decisions that we make. And this is something I've seen in my own life, and I've seen it so much in the church, that the things that we do repeatedly, it starts to callous us, which is why we really need to be a, a part of a sharp community. And when I say sharp, I mean people who will encourage us, challenge us, love us through, ask us difficult questions, and really push us to become the followers of Jesus that he's calling us to be. For those of us who have placed our faith in Christ, one of the things that I, I hear often that just makes me so elated is to hear about how people have come together, even in the middle of this pandemic, in our DNA groups, and those have just wrapped up, but we got new ones launching in January. Make sure you sign up for those if you weren't in it. But these DNA groups are groups of four to six people and people who are starting to build life. And I'll just speak for mine. It has become one of the highlights of my week that I've grown with these brothers and I've grown in my, in my hunger for God. And it's being a part of a sharp community. So for the, to keep us from being hardened by our own decisions, I think we really need to be part of a sharp community that will encourage us and challenge us and help us to push us along. For those of us who have in our lives wounds and damages from other people, uh, I've talked about my own journey with counseling, and I, I, I'm still in counseling, uh, and I'll probably be in counseling for the next 50 years of my life. One of the things that I have found to be so helpful in helping me to get rid of some of the callousness about things that have happened to me is in making sure I'm talking to a godly professional that, that's helping me process these things. So if you want to avail yourself of counseling, we have a counselor that we, we've been working with that we subsidize, so hopefully money will not be an obstacle. And all you have to do is email grace at renaissancenyc.com and we will get you set up with that counselor. There might be some things in your life that are keeping you back from God that another sermon is not gonna fix. You're gonna have to go to that deep, dark, scary place to unearth some stuff to hopefully undo some of that hardening. So number one, one of the things that prevents us from receiving what Christ has for us presenting from receiving the gift that is Jesus is just when we are hardened. The second thing that we see in the scripture that causes, um, that makes our hearts not really receptive to God is uh, what it says in verse 13. It says, and the seed on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. Having no root, these believe for a while and fall away in a time of testing. So the time of testing is when we have to withstand obstacles, fears, disappointments, and you choose to follow Jesus anyway. That is real trust. That is a real life-giving relationship with Jesus, not what is presented here as a shallow soil that immediately people are excited, but since there's no root, they fall away in the time of testing. So years ago, before I had kids, and when I had a head full of hair and probably um, too much stupidity coursing through my veins, I went skydiving. And I'll never forget watching the video of me skydiving with my mother in her kitchen. And my mother was nervous the whole time watching the video. I'm like, Ma, I'm, I'm here. 
I have a cheesy DVD that I'm showing you. Of, of course, I landed okay. And she was all nervous and we were watching the video. And as I was watching it, I was thinking to myself how terrible of an idea it was and how scared I was to do it. Now, let me, let me tell you what trust is. Trust is not swiping your credit card. Anybody can swipe your credit card when you're on the ground. Trust is when you are 15,000 feet in the air and they say, are you ready? And you trust the person. For me, I didn't go by myself. I had somebody strapped to my back. I was like, listen, I'm not, I don't trust me. I'm going to pass out as soon as, we, as soon as we get outside. I need somebody, a professional, to help me get down safely. Trust is, is not swiping your credit card. Trust is when you see the obstacle, when you face the fear, when you go through the challenge and you trust anyway, and when you jump out the plane. In our lives, trust is not excitement. One of the challenges of our generation is what uh, a theologian named Richard Foster writes about su superficiality. And so much of our spiritual lives these days is, is characterized by superficiality. Here's what he says. He says, superficiality is the curse of this age. We live in a world of shallow relationships, superficial conversations, hurried moments of prayer, too much television, and light commitments. You can say ouch or amen right there. And I think when we do that, we're revealing ourselves to be people who have shallow soil. And we're, we're not going to, if we go through these things, we're not going to have the type of commitment to Christ, the type of life-giving relationship to him that is going to withstand the time of testing. When the obstacles come, when the fears face us, we're not going to get out of the plane. We're going to stay in for our own safety. And these are the type of people that Jesus talked about who fell away as a result of the things in front of them. Now, one of the things that we're doing this week as we prepare our hearts is we are starting a five-day reading plan for everyone in the church. If you're doing another reading plan, kick it to the curb for five days so we can all do it together. But a five-day reading plan, it's going to be on the homepage of our website as well uh, for you to hopefully help to deepen the roots of our soil, to deepen, uh, deepen our roots of our relationship with Christ so we can prepare our hearts for him. Because let me, let, me, let me say something. My hope for you now and forever is not that you would think the sermons are good and the worship service that we, we're putting on for next service is amazing. None of those, those things are good, don't get me wrong. It's not that you would be generous. It's not that you would um, you know, serve and volunteer with us. And shout out to everybody who came out to the toy store last week. My real hope is that when you face challenges in life, you have a faith and a relationship with Jesus that can, withdore, that can withstand and endure anything. I just made up a new word, withdore. So I hope your faith is one that can endure and withstand anything. And that's the type of faith that I think Jesus is hinting at here, not one that is marked by superficiality and light commitments. So this week, please head over to our website. It's going to be on the front page, uh, our five-day reading plan. I want us committing to it uh, this week. It's for people at every single level to do, and I hope that you will join us with that. So that's the second soil. It's a shallow one that does not withstand the time of testing. The third soil is one that is very convicting for me. Here's what Jesus says in verse 14. It says, As for the seed that fell among thorns, these are the ones who... When they have heard, go on their way and are choked with worries, riches, and pleasures of life and produce no mature fruit.
I want to go through this last one slowly. So they hear the word and it starts to grow inside of them. But that word, that plant that's attempting to grow in their life is being choked with worries, riches, and pleasures of life, and it produces no mature fruit. Now, I want to really be slow on this one to make sure that I am uh, that we're getting everything out of this. Jesus is not saying these people don't produce fruit. They do. He's saying these people, when we allow the worries of this life and all these different things uh, to come against us, that it prevents us from maturing and being real mature in Christ and actually growing to the fullness that God wants us to have. There are worries, riches, and pleasures of life that choke, that would choke, choke the word of God that what God wants to produce inside of us. So growing up, um, my brother and I uh, grew up on, you know, my parents were lawyers and uh, we wanted to always, you know, shun growing up with privilege. And my brother started hanging out with all these kids who were getting in trouble and doing a bunch of bad stuff. And my dad didn't like my brother's friends, not all of them. Some of them I'm watching right now. He's not talking about you. Um, he didn't like some of their friends because, and he would call them weeds. And what is a weed? A weed doesn't kill every other plant in the garden. What a weed does is it takes away vital nutrients and prevents that other plant from growing to its full possibility. So when Jesus is talking about these weeds, he's not saying that these other things, these competing interests, are going to kill whatever God is doing. It's just going to grow just to a level that you're, it's there, but it's not actually effective or doing anything real. It's not growing to its full capability. And in our lives, I think we would all do well to evaluate where we are. What are the weeds in our lives that are choking out what God wants to grow in us? What are the things that are competing right now for our attention, for our energy, for our passion, that are keeping us stunted in our growth? It's not the quality of your YouTube stream. Sometimes it is the things that we allow to grow around us and we're content with just a little bit of fruit here, but God wants so much more for us. Now, I said earlier that this is one that cuts closer to home because as I think about it and as I read about it, read it just now, I'm thinking about all the things that so dominate, not just my attention, right? So there's things that we think about a lot that we have to think about, family and work and trying, to, trying not to catch this coronavirus and all these things, which are good things to think about. And Jesus is not talking about these things in terms of um, that we should never think about anything else. That's not what he means. But in our lives, is there a clear first? And you're like, is there a clear first in your priority? Not just in speech, in, in word, but in, in deed. Like, is, is the pursuit of Christ the, the clear priority in your life if you are a Christian? And if not, why, why not? Think about it. It might just be that there are other things that are competing, like worries, like the riches that we're pursuing or other things the pleasures of life, and we produce no mature fruit. Now, here's the thing that's like one of the paradoxes of Christianity because the Bible tells us that God is a good father and he wants us to have good things. And then on the other end, we see that the pleasures of life might be an obstacle that keep us from maturing. And I was thinking about this today, like, God, what is it? Do you want us to have, do you want us to be miserable? And I don't think that's the case. Uh, but there is a life, a version of Christianity 
which is really Americanized. It's life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness instead of life in Christ, freedom in Christ, and the pursuit of him, which will bring happiness in the end and real joy. And here's a paradox of, of pursuing happiness. Um, man, if you like just want to be happy as your goal, you will never get it. Like if your goal is just to be happy, like you will never, ever find that. Happiness is found in meaning and accomplishing meaning. Happiness is found in relationships. Happiness, by definition, is always a byproduct of something else. And when we seek after the pleasures of, of life, as Jesus talks about in the scripture, like when we seek after happiness as our goal, we'll never get it. And it's something that chokes the words of God in our life and it prevents us from growing to the full stature. God wants us to have real happiness, real joy, and it's not found in just trying to be happy for happy's sake. He wants to have it in a deep, meaningful way. So um, first soil is a hardened heart. The second one is a shallow one where we don't have deep roots. Uh, maybe that's because of inexperience or something else. And the third one is when we, man, just have all these other things competing for our time. And there's been this scripture I've been meditating on all week. And at first glance, it has nothing to do with the condition of my heart, but it's something that has really helped me see what are the things that are competing with God's word in my life that are preventing my heart from the maturity that God wants me to have. And Psalm 139, 13 and 14, it says this, for it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wondrously made. Your works are wondrous. And I know this very well. And as I was thinking about this scripture, I was thinking, man, when God was knitting me together in my mother's womb, like what, what did God, what did God hope for when he made me? Like, what did God hope for when he made you? Did he, did he hope that you would get the apartment? Did he, did, while he was knitting you together in your mother's womb, was he, was he hoping that you would get that raise in your, at your job? Again, none of these things are bad. But what God has for us and wants for us is so much bigger than the shallow aspirations that we have around us that sometimes truly rob us of our focus being on God and God's will for our lives. We see that in verse 15. It says, but the seed and the good ground, these are the ones who, having heard the word with an honest and a good heart, hold on to it by enduring and produce fruit. That's what God has dreamed up for me and for you. Now, at this point in the message, uh, many of you might be feeling a little conviction, and conviction is a good thing as we think about our lives and our hearts and where we might be hardened and where we might be shallow and what are the weeds that are growing around. And as I think about this from my own life, I never want us feeling condemned. Conviction is a good thing, but I, I never want us feeling condemned. In Romans 8 and 1, it says, therefore, there is no condemnation, none to those who are in Christ Jesus. You know, a few years ago, uh, when I was in seminary, man, I had like pretty terrible health insurance. It came with the school package. And I had like an ingrown hair on my back and it like developed into this super painful thing that had to be drained. And I went to the doctor's office and because of the insurance I had, I guess, the only thing that my insurance would cover is basically like her taking out a razor blade to cut it open and it was like the most painful 10 to 15 seconds of my life. And after I actually felt amazing and she got everything out, but that made me think about something. 
a concept that we see that's very true in our lives, and it's also true, very, very true spiritually. We should never confuse the pain of freedom with a, a pain of an injury. Sometimes we feel pain and um, uncomfortable, and it's because it's freeing us, not because it's condemning us. That's the difference between conviction and condemnation. If you're feeling something that's like some discomfort, man, that's good. That's God. That That's freedom. That's getting out some stuff inside of us that doesn't belong there versus a condemnation that says you're terrible and you're this and you're that. That's not God. That is the voice of the enemy. And that leads us to pray prayers and to go to God like David did in Psalm 51, where he says, God, I know I can't do this on my own. I want you to create a, a clean heart in, in me and to renew a right spirit in me. And the good news of the gospel is a scripture I've quoted many times. You'll probably, if you've been rocking with Renaissance for a little bit, be able to finish my sentence right now. Philippians 1 and 6, that the God who started a good work in you, he's going to bring it to completion. Jesus told his, his disciples in John 14 and 18 that I'm not going to leave you as orphans. You're not by yourself. You're not left to figure things out on your own, but I'm going to be with you and, and guide you. The promise that we have with God is not just that Jesus has come to die for our sins, but that he has risen to live with us and to lead us. His promise to us that he is our shepherd is one that is as real today as it was 2,000 years ago. So as we are experiencing whatever emotion we're experiencing right now, thinking about preparing our hearts, this is not a solo job. God invites us to come to him with all of our fears, frustrations, disappointments, inadequacies, uh, insecurities, and to, and to come to him, and he will give us rest. So this week, as we are spending time deepening our roots in scripture, I want us also pairing that with uh, prayer and coming to God so that he would lead us and guide us in the way that he has prepared for us. So let me pray for us right now. Heavenly Father, I know you have so many good things in mind for me and so many good things in store for me. Some of these things might not feel good, Lord, but they are good uh, for me. So Lord, we, we, we thank you that you will never leave us or forsake us. Lord, we thank you that uh, you are the great gardener that is doing the work in our, in our lives. And Lord, we come to you honestly and humbly asking you to lead us. We ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.